Amen. You all may be seated. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed. We've been uh, studying the Psalms, and today we come to a Psalm that has a very particular phrase in it. We're going to look at a more upbeat Psalm. Um, It's a very uplifting Psalm. Not only that, it elevates man, it elevates women to the status that God says they deserve. The status where they find themselves under the authority of God while being over the authority of God's creation. We're going to be looking at Psalm 8. Now listen as you read this, or read this as you listen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have such a glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As I was reading this psalm and getting ready for it, I went to Dustin and said, we have to sing the psalm. We we just have to, because if not, I'm just going to burst out singing it as I read the psalm. And it's such a powerful phrase that had to be put into a psalm. But if you are listening to the scripture there, you'll notice there was repetition. There was something, a very key phrase that repeated, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a poetic device here that that puts brackets on this whole psalm. It's beginning with this phrase and it ends with it so we know what the purpose, we know what the pinnacle of it is. He is saying, God, you are majestic. Your majesty brackets everything. Your majesty encompasses everything that is out there. And really more than that, what he's saying for us is we're going to find in this bracket the source of our identity, the source of our worth, right in the middle of God's majesty. Basically, in this psalm, we're going to come to answer the question, what is man. That's a question that many people have tried to answer, and I'm going to try and answer it with a a sermon that's going to be about an hour and 15 minutes, okay? That's right. No. But the, the problem is, if we're going to go to this question, we can't answer it until we've actually looked at the previous question. Before we can consider this, we need to spend a few minutes considering who is God. Because that answer will determine what is man. And that's what the psalm writer here, David, is doing. In fact, he is so excited about writing this psalm, he belts it out. Uh, When you read it in the Hebrew, it's actually emphatic. It's, oh Lord, our Lord. Sorry, there's a sleeping baby. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. This isn't something you whisper. This is something that you're excited about. David understands that God is majestic. We don't use the word majestic very much. Um, 
But majestic has the idea of greatness, of royalty. It has the idea of infinity. We'll say, look how majestic the mountains are because of their grandeur, how big they are. But put that in scale of God is majestic because of the grandeur. Majestic is, majesty is a word we use when we think of, when we try to think of other words and we come up short. We can't think of what to call God. Uh, he's uh, majestic. We might look at a king and say, your majesty. But really, an earthly king should not be called majesty. Only God is truly majestic. And David knows this, and that's why he belts out twice, O Lord, and then he puts our Lord. So, O Lord, your, your position, who you are, and personal, our Lord, how majestic. Not just is it majestic, but in all of the earth. He's not sitting there like some of us do as we sing. I, I grew up in a very... non-emotional church. I was trying to figure out the right way to say that. So when we sang, we showed no emotion because emotion apparently was taught to be bad at some point. And so you can yell and hoop and holler at a football game, but when you come to church, you have to be solemn. And then we'd sing these songs of great praise and majesty and we can't show emotion. And then when I got into... So uh, youth ministry, and I started seeing other churches, you know, raising their hands and smiling when they sang. I'm like, well, they're going to hell. <laughs> and so I started looking into it and reading it, and I was like, you know what? When you truly come to understand things, you can't just sit there. David is belting it out. He is full of the wonder and the awesomeness of God, and he can't help to just proclaim it. Not say it, proclaim it. And until we really understand the awesome nature of God, the majesty of God, our worship will always be hindered. That's where I was. I thought worship was a thing I just had to check off. It wasn't something that I got to connect with the majesty of God. And once I started seeing who God truly is, who He is, then my worship got louder. There, there are several times in worship that, uh, you know, I just, I don't care who's around me. I start singing and my wife will grab me like, shh, you're too loud. Or I'm sitting in the back and I can see Dustin go, oh yeah, Donnie just started singing. Okay. I, I know I'm loud. I don't sing for you. I sing because, man, he's worth it and I want to make sure nothing drowns out my faith. That, that's why I sing so loud. We're always going to hold back a little bit in our worship because of what we think others will think. And yet what is psalm, this psalm tells us, verse 2 tells us kind of that we are worshipped, we are wired for worship. Since the day we are created, worship has been sown into our DNA. What he says right here is kids are wired for worship. If you've ever worked at our VBS, Vacation Bible School, you can see the excitement of the kids as they really get into the songs. We have a couple of kids, even in the church here, that when they know the song, they belt it out. They're not always on key. They're not always in time. But they are worshiping it out loud. And you know what happens every time that happens? When you hear it, you just get this smile. Imagine 
the one who they're singing to how he feels. They just enjoy it. They don't care who's watching them at that moment. They're just singing it out, enjoying the song, and enjoying who the song is about. They enjoy worshiping. And then somehow as little kids, along the line, we lose sight of what it means to worship. We don't know how that occurs, but over time we get the idea that we have to... um, we have the inside of us begin to diminish on what it means to worship. We all become adults and no longer is it cool to worship with emotion. It's not even cool to stand up in church or worship because you're thinking, well, well what did that person think of me next? who's next to me? What, what are they going to say if they see me raise my hand? What will that person think if during this song I let my emotions out and I actually start crying because of what God's done for me? We lose that sense of wonder, that sense of what worship truly is, like when we were kids. And I miss that. And I think that's one reason why we smile when we hear the children do it, because we're like, oh, I want that again. Now, most of you know that when I'm preaching, I use the New Living Translation, the New American uh, Standard, and then the ESV. Those are my top three that I use. There is one that I rarely ever use, which is called the Message. It is not a divine-inspired translation. It's called a paraphrase, okay? And that's different. But every once in a while, it has a great wording. And and I like how verse 2 sounds in Psalm 8. Listen to what Psalms 2, verse 8, or Psalm 8, verse 2 says in the message. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. (laughs) I just love that. You know, you hear these little babies cooing and maybe even drooling on it. And it is adorable. And that is the chorus of worship, the true heart of it. And that alone drowns out an atheist in what they try to say about God. Little babies in the nursery, when they're gurgling, cooing, they are praising God. It's one of the reasons we are so focused on improving our children's ministry here. God created, as I said uh, last sermon or maybe before, children are a blessing. They are a gift. God created them with a unique innocence and a, a longing to believe and trust in God. We know that if we can help direct and focus each child in our ministry We can see them become the future preachers, missionaries, and leaders of faith. And that's one reason why we want to increase and grow our children's area. Unfortunately, we all let go of that special quality that God gives us as children. Kids are excited to learn about God, excited to worship God. And then after camp or VBS, even after church, those same kids who are excited about their faith then look at mom and dad. Well, how come you don't sing about Jesus? How come you don't read the Bible like you say I should? Don't you like Jesus? Don't you believe in God? And then as they grow in it, it becomes complicated. And David is proclaiming God doesn't need scholars. 
He is using little babies in the nurseries. He's using toddlers. He's using those kids to proclaim the praise of God. Do you still worship God with the same truth and faith of a child? And that really made me wonder as I, I was working on this. I'll tell you right now, this is what goes through my mind many Sundays. I know people are going to watch me. I mean, I'm good looking. So i got to make sure I act just right. If I, if I do something wrong, is it going to make this person mad? If I raise my hand, are they going to say, well, I can't do that? If I don't raise my hand, are they going to say, well, you don't let the Spirit in you? If I sing too loud, are they going to say he's a showboat? If I don't sing enough, are they going to say, does he really care? This goes through my mind almost every single Sunday. Because I'm worried what you guys are going to think. And yet I need to be more like those kids who just belt it out and don't care who's listening. Because I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for God. Do we still worship God with the same trust and faith as a child? I think we should work on that. David then turns from thinking about little children to what's far above our heads. Did you know, I had to look this up a little, um, did you know we can see around 3,000 stars with our own eyes? When David was looking at the night sky, he didn't have the advancements of telescopes. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have the smartphone. Did you know there are apps that you can watch stars with? I had one on my last phone, and I went to look for it this week, and I couldn't find it. I forgot to download it. But you can you open up the app, you po- point it to a certain star, and it'll tell you its name. It'll tell you its orbit. It, apparently, you guys did it this last week. Yes, and it's a great app. You can see it. In your, you can even point at the ground and see where the stars are on the other side of the earth. It is so cool. I used to take the dog out just so I could use the app. Look at it all. Look at that. Oh, that's a satellite. Okay, no. And it is amazing. David didn't have that. King David didn't have the ability to sit back and look at things through those devices. He just sat and looked at the stars and started thinking about the greatness. Look what he says in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. We have all this stuff around us, but when is the last time you sat and considered creation? We get caught up in our own little worlds that we forget how big this world is. We can go days, weeks, and even years without really looking up at the sky. The first thing we consider is the sheer quantity of stars in the universe. I admit when I went on the internet to found this, I found this alarming and yet a very consistent number. It says there are about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, in our galaxy. 400 billion stars. There are supposed to be 500 billion galaxies. Now you do the math. I use the computer. I did the math, and basically this is what the number, so there's 400, but that's how many stars. You tell me what that number is. I don't know. What'd you say? Tillion? Sextillion. Sextillion. Where were you on Tuesday when I was looking this up? 
Come on, I could have sounded smarter. Some of your accountants, go check the math. I think I'm right. The bottom line, is that a lot of stars? That is a lot of stars. Did you know you can buy a star? It is true, listen, okay? There is a website, you can go out there, you can buy a star and name it after you, someone you love, like a boyfriend and girlfriend, okay? Um, but there is a catch. It's 1995. For 1995, you get a certificate with the name of the star. But before you go do that, okay, especially any of you lovebirds, Thompson, okay, um, I, I just want to say something. Instead of going to that website and spending $20 on a certificate, come to me. I'll print one out to you for $10, okay? I will give you the star. I'll put it on the certificate, and I'll give it to you for a discount. See me after service. Okay? You want a down payment? He wants to put a star on layaway. Kids. Now, who here would really want to sit back and try counting the stars? That would that be an endless thing to do. It'd be fun, but you would lose sight. We can't really number the stars. It's not a part of our abilities to do so. But we don't need to either. God already did. Not only did God number them, God actually names them, it says. He knows each star. And it's not just the sheer uh, quantity of items in the night sky. It's also the beauty of it. It It's phenomenal. We have the Hubble telescope. And I've been on the website and looking around. It's out there floating in the sky, in case you don't know captures a lot of images. I don't know exactly how much it works. All I know is it's put there in 1990, flies around, takes lots of pictures, and costs a lot of money. That's the Hubble telescope in summary. And it's constantly sending pictures. It'll focus on one area and just keep absorbing as much as it can until it gets a picture. You can go on the Hubble website and see the pictures. I grabbed three here. Okay, here's three. These are all galaxies. Those look just like, go back one, please. Those are all just galaxies. What we think are stars, when they zoom in on them, those are galaxies. That's a lot of galaxies. Now go to the next. The one on the left there, that's a star cluster. There's all these stars in a cluster there. And the one on the right is a, um, like a, I just lost the word. Nebula, thank you. Uh, Westerlund. Westernland Nebula. And those are the colors. That's how... Could David see any of this? He didn't have the ability, and yet God created it. He put all this beauty out there, which shows God loves creativity. He loves beauty. He put it out there for thousands of years for just his own enjoyment until we came up with technology that could do it. We finally get to see what the psalmist was talking about. Look at Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Think of those pictures. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. When we sit, when I sit and look up at the vastness of all creation, when I actually contemplate, and if you consider it well enough, what eventually comes up to, if you're looking at all the stars up there, 
what does that say about me? You look at all those different galaxies and the amount of stars, you see the nebulas, you see these great beauties up in sky, and they are huge and vast, and what, what am I? What does it say about my significance? You get overwhelmed by the number of stars, the enormous galaxies, and eventually what happens is you begin to ask yourself, am I just this insignificant person in the middle of this universe? And that's what David says. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Basically saying, um, why am I so insignificant? Compared to all that, compared to what you have done, God, I am so insignificant. Really, right here with that line, I am so insignificant, that's where the atheist generally buys into the fact that we are just dust. We are a cosmic dust that just so happened to come together. The atheist is there grappling with the implications, believing that we are just this cosmic dust. And when that's all you are, what does that say about your self-worth? I mean, what do we do with dust in our house? We collect it and throw it away because dust is worthless. And yet that world philosophy says we are nothing but dust. We are nothing but just these things that come together. That doesn't do a lot for our self-worth. Yet the Christian, on the other hand, read what it says, verses 4 or 5 of chapter 8. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care, care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. Now this phrase, the scholars try to uh, tend to struggle with, exactly what does it mean by heavenly beings, all, and there's a lot in here that we're just not going to get into. It. What it really matters above all else here is in God's eyes, we are above all those creation. In God's eyes, we are above all of that creation. Those stars that we just saw pictures of are nothing. God would consider them dust compared to the value he sees in us. We look at it and say, look how beautiful and glorious that is. And God says, no, that is nothing. You are what I care about. Don't believe me, look at Genesis 1.27. It talks about God creating man. So God created human beings in his own image. Right there is the key. He created all these weird animals. Some of these really cool ones, some of these weird ones, scary ones. But he came to human beings and he created them in his own image. The starting point was totally different. In case you didn't catch it, in the image of God, he created them. Oh, he created them in his own image again. Male and female, he created them. It speaks of your significance right here, of your identity. It speaks of your value. In light of all creation, though they were created last, they were the pinnacle of all of creation. Though they were created last, they are first in God's eyes. They have a very special place. After all creation, God created the animals, and he looked at that. He looked at the hippo and said, that, that's good. He looked at the giraffe, stretched his neck. That's funny, but it's good. He made the praying mantis. He made the mountains. He made the trees. He made the waters and the heavens. He says, that's good. And then he came and he formed Adam and Eve, and he said, that is so good. That is very, very good. They had been given the crown of glory and honor because they had the image of God placed on and 
in them. And that crown of glory and honor represents glory or authority over all of God's creation. What is the lion known as? The what? King of the lion. King of the jungle. Okay? So he's the king of the jungle. Except he's under us. Okay? We can control him. They don't put us in cages and come look at us. We are, we are over them. And David goes on to explain this in, in verses 6 or 8. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the fields, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God created everything, everything on the earth. God created, he's hinting at something here, but it's not very subtle. God created. We're not happenstance. We're not evolved. Okay, if you want to look at what evolution truly teaches, it says that we keep getting better and better and better. Except you look at the health and society of mankind, we're getting worse and worse and worse. Okay, everything proves that evolution is, is just not true. It takes way too much faith to believe in evolution. God created everything. It just said it right here. Everything He created, and yet He takes all that creation and He places it, He entrusts it into mankind. We have been given dominion over all of His creation. This doesn't mean we're totally superior to animals in everything. We're not stronger than all the animals. Usain Bolt, a Jamaican runner, and he hit a record. Um, I went online and found it. It's like 24 miles per hour. That doesn't seem like very fast. Okay? So uh, when I was younger, we went on a vacation, and we were in this motorhome, and, and my dad, we were driving, and the motorhome just stopped. Or the engine just quit. And we're coasting. And every time a semi went by, it would get a little gust. And so he thought, we just got to make it to that exit. All is doing it. I'm just going to jump out and, and help keep it going. And it's only doing like 10 miles an hour. And so he opened the door. And he jumped out. And mom's sitting in the passenger seat. And he disappears. And then all of a sudden, this is what she sees. So here's the window or the door frame. And these hands come out. And he's running. And he's trying to catch at 10 miles an hour. He finally jumps in, and he can't breathe. My mom can't breathe either because she's laughing so hard. 10 miles an hour. Usain Bolt went over twice that. 24 miles an hour. So it is pretty fast. A cheetah runs 70 miles per hour. A horse or a lion runs 50 miles per hour. I looked up the top 50 speeds of of a creation, we're down there with chickens. Okay? We're not very superior in everything of strength. Even though we may not be stronger, I think we all know that we are superior in many ways, especially intellectually. You have yet to find a chicken or a duck or a gorilla send a man, send one of their own to the moon. They haven't created the Hubble telescope or they can't use an iPhone or even make one. You're not going to see it. You can stick them in a room for billions of years, and you're not going to find them making anything. Not only intellectually, but we have the ability to show compassion beyond ourselves. We have the ability to take our intellect, take our own sense of compassion, and go out in the world and help solve other problems and help things. 
with poverty, homelessness, environmentals, and are we great at it? No, because we take our compassion set aside and put our own wants first. But we do have the gift of compassion coupled with our intellect. We also have the ability to create, to love, to do things that animals can't do. They, they can mimic us, but they can't do it the same. And most importantly, we have the ability to weigh out right and wrong. We have moral fiber that is woven within us. You know, there are some animals that when they are being chased by another a predator, they throw their infants, their baby animals, at the predator so they can get away. Can you imagine doing that? Somebody's coming at you. Here, take my child. Let me live. Now, some days that does sound good. But animals don't have that sense of right and wrong. If an animal was to kill another animal, or even a person, we don't really condemn the animal and say, wow, how much of a sinner they are. We just respond that, well, it was part of their instinct. They're just dumb animals. If a person does it, well, they're held to a different standard because they're a different caliper. If we're just animals, you actually could make a pretty good case for going out committing violence to another person because you could say, it's just survival of the species. I am just proving that I am better and I can take over what I want and that's how I'm going to advance my DNA. That's really what evolution, atheism, all that is. I can do whatever I want as long as it's for my survival. You don't like it, you're the weaker one and I get to live. But we know that's not true. Because we have an inherent sense of right and wrong because we are made in the image of God. When somebody asks you, what is man? You should be able to give an answer. You should be able to say, we are the image bearers of God here on earth. We are created in His image. And because of that, we are gifted with things that no other species has. A superior intellect, compassion, creativity, and free will. We have the ability to love. And above all these things, mankind has been crowned with glory and honor. The very glory of God is on us so that we can become reflections of His glory. That is what man is. That is what woman is. We are the created image of God who bears not just His image, but can also bear His glory and honor. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how, just like this psalm, God bracketed this, this psalm, right? He bracketed it with His majesty, which represents the beginning and the end. And when we truly want to know something, we'll find our own worth right in His majesty. Unfortunately, at some point, we decided that we didn't want to sit under that majesty and authority of God. We decided we're going to try and do things our own way. We're going to do life my way. Uh, it could be sex out of marriage, LGBTQ lifestyle, getting drunk, lying, gossip, stealing, gambling, murder, whether it's in the womb or on the streets. We choose to leave the majesty of God's image and instead exchange it for the filth of sin. You can see this all throughout mankind of history exchanging truth for lies. God looked down and above all that stuff, all the glories that He created, the wonders, the beauty, and He sees the mess that we chose. 
and he looks down and he does something totally contrary to what he should. He says, I see your problem and I can fix that. I'm going to send my son Jesus and Jesus will show you what true humanity looks like and I'm going to allow him to fix your problems that you created. Jesus came down, he went to the cross, he took our sins away, but before he did that part, he actually hung around for 33 years and showed us what it means to live in right relationship with God. He showed us what true humanity is supposed to look like. He showed the authority that he had over diseases that were on people, over the demonic. He showed all authority. He showed us how to live. And no matter how we are tempted, we do not have to choose to sin. In Jesus, we see not only the image of God, we see the image of what we were designed and created to be. A few weeks ago, some of you might remember that I talked about, the Bible talks about three different heavens. Okay, there's the, the high heaven, which is the throne room of God. Then you have space heaven, heaven two, which is where the moon, the stars, and all that. And then you have the lower heaven, which we call sky. Now look at that, okay? Think of this. Now go back to the psalm, and here's the breakdown of what uh, one of the commentators said. Verse 1, you are above the heavens. Verse 3, the heavens and the moons declare your name. Verse 5, a little lower than the heaven. Now go to 5b, crowned on the top of the head, the hands, and then the feet. It's very well bracketed again. That God is encompassing everything. The psalm begins and ends with the same phrase. He is pointing that everything falls under the authority, under the majesty of God. And guess where we get to live? Right in the midst of it. As long as we choose. We start off, and, and when I started reading this psalm, I was like, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yeah, you got to do the clap, Okay. If you don't do the clap the right way, you can't go to heaven either, okay? And then there's the very spiritual ones who know the special clap that goes in between, okay, just so you know. But I was singing it, and then I got to it, and it repeats it. And you know, as I was really reading it, it's different when you reread it in the end of that psalm, after you break this all down. When we read the phrase the second time, when we sing it at the end, with the cry of how magnificent your name is. Now we understand. At first, it's just this innocence. Yes, Lord, your name is majestic over all the earth. But then we go through it because of all the works of your hands, of all creation, of all the authority and dominion you have, of all the sanctity that you put within us, that you value me over all of that creation. Because of your great salvation, the love you have, Nowhere above the heavens, nowhere within the heavens, nowhere under them is majesty like we find in God. Oh, how majestic is His name. And when we reread it and we break it down from top to bottom, head to toe, God is majestic. So who is God? He is supreme majesty. He is the creator. He is the one who looks down from heaven and declares I know what man is. You want to know who you are? You want to know what you were designed and created for? Go to Psalm 8 and see how majestic he is, and then look what he has placed within you. Once we know who God is, then we can answer the question, what is man? 
You can look at all the splendors of creation, the colors of the sunset. We, I just saw somebody post online. They got to see sunset in two different countries in the same day. And, and how beautiful it was to see all that. What is man but a mere speck? And yet God proclaims you are the prize of all creation. He created all that and He values you most of all. You are valued by the majestic one. You are deemed worthy by the Creator. You are because He said so. And because of that, and because of all that truth, shouldn't we be saying, Majestic. Majestic is your name, O oh God, above all the earth. And not just say it, not just sing it, but live a life that points to it. Each week we have a time and opportunity where we want to offer if you would like to make a decision and say, you know what, I, I'm tired of holding my life on my own and trying to do it. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want to give it to Him so that I can see that majesty of who He is living within me. But for most of you, well, and if you want to do that, we want to talk to you. We want to meet with you and, and help you see what Jesus can mean to your life. Most of you have already done that. And here's the sad thing I had to come to. I don't live this phrase enough. I don't live it. I can say it. Just like we can sing the words on Sunday, but can we live the lifestyle of, oh my God, He is majestic over all the earth. And everything I do this week is going to point to His majesty. Everything I'm going to do and think and say is going to point to my God and how majestic He is. Imagine when the church does that. We're not fighting the culture then. We're actually having a hard time keeping the doors closed because so many people want to come see that kind of a God because of us. And if you need to make that choice and say, I'm tired of doing the fake or the weak or the shallow Christian, will you stand up and say, oh Lord, my God, Majestic is your name in all the earth, but let it first be sung and shouted and lived in my life. Let's stand and go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you that even though we can fail at recognizing your authority, that we can somehow turn a blind eye to your majesty, that you still look down with love and affection and compassion and still offer a way redeeming relationship with you. God, I ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds right now. That as we come together after looking and hearing your word, that you would rise within us, awaken within us this desire to live in the truth of how majestic you are, and yet in that majesty, you choose us. Thank you, God thank you for that. I don't deserve it. Help me live according to that gift. Help us all to take that gift and hold it up for the world to see the bright light of living in relationship with you. Jesus, we praise you.
And we pray this in your name. Amen.